welcome to the Miami Church Podcast. I don't know if you're listening to this on your commute, or around your house, or even gathered with friends, but wherever you are, we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith journey. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Here's the weekly message. Now, today, I, I want to talk to you guys, and one of the things that I just love about our church, there's a lot of things I love about our church, but I, even just looking around the room right now, we got people from literally all over the world, and one of the things that just blows me away as I talk to people and get to know people is, man, we, we just have some really smart people. Like, people are just very smart, people are, are very uh, educated, but people are very intelligent, and, and, uh, and we have a lot of students in our, in our here, a lot, especially a lot of graduate-level students, doctoral-level students that are part of our church. And, and here's the thing. You guys know this because, again, you're, you're super smart. You're super educated. And um, when you're in school, right, when you're studying, whether it's undergraduate, graduate level, when you're in school, how do you, how do you be successful? Like, what do you have to do to be successful? Like, somehow I got a master's degree. I don't know how they let me do that. But, but what, I, what you do, you study, right? You work hard. Right? If you study hard enough, if you figure out kind of what the professor wants and you deliver, right, then you can, you can get good grades, you can achieve, right? It's like this idea, like, you can earn it. It's like, I can work hard enough to earn it, right? But I can work hard enough to earn it. Here's, an, here's another thing, example. A couple, um, couple of months ago, I was sitting down with a couple. They were a young married couple. I haven't been married that long, and I'm talking to them. And uh, oh, this is so good, right? And I'm not the smartest guy in the world. Okay, I've been married 12 years, but I'm still trying to figure some things out, okay? But I was like watching this couple interact, and the wife was just sharing, okay? And the wife was just, and the wife was just kind of letting, like needing to let, like just let it out. Now, again, I'm not the sharpest tack in the drawer, but I have learned when, when the wife needs to just share that what the husband should do is just shut up, right? Right, because she's not looking for answers. Is she? she doesn't want an answer. She doesn't want a solution. She just wants to share. And so she's over there sharing, and I'm kind of sitting there, you know, like, I'm going to shut up. I'm not saying anything. And I see the husband start kind of fidgeting. I'm like, uh-oh. I see what's getting ready to happen. He can't help himself, right? Because what the young husband can't help himself. What's he want to do? He wants to fix it, right? He wants to solve. He's like, there's an easy answer to that. We can solve this. Right? And I could just see her going, hey, yo, 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 you're trying to meet my feelings with your facts, and that ain't going to work, right? Right? But what's the husband doing? He's like, but, but I can fix this. But I, I, can, I can come up with a solution. I've got a solution. Now, these are two different examples, and here's where I want to go today. These, these ideas, like I can earn it, I can work hard enough, I can fix it, I can solve it, Okay? That right there, that way that we're wired, that way that we naturally act, that actually overlaps with the way that we view God. It actually overlaps with the way that we interact with God. It actually overlaps with the way that we pray. Here's how it works. Here's some examples. I got a friend, lives here in Miami, very successful businessman. He hates to travel. He hates airplanes, but yet he's on an airplane every week, okay? And so he gets on an airplane, and he's not a believer. He doesn't believe in Jesus. He's kind of on this faith journey. He doesn't really know. We have this great relationship. And, and he tells me, he says, man, he says, the only time that I really 
start praying is when I'm on an airplane because there's always this sense on when I'm on an airplane, like, God, if you can just let this plane land, if you just let this, then I'm going to go to church. God, if you let the plane land, I'll go to church, right? And he starts bargaining and negotiating with God, right? He's like, if you do, then I'll go do this stuff for you, God, right? There, there's another thing that happens too. I, I love talking to students, right? And they'll, they'll start talking about school, and they'll start talking about when the, the anxiety and the stress that's coming up when there's a project due or a paper due, right? And maybe you don't pray much, maybe not, but, but when it comes to that time to take the test, like, you've done, have you done this? Like, okay, God, I, I don't, if you just help me pass this test, if you just help me, then, I, then I'm going to, then I'll do this, God, then I'll go to church, or I'll, you know, I'll go help somebody that needs help, right? Then I'll. There's this propensity that we have to kind of bargain and negotiate with God. I did. I remember a few years back, I had surgery up at uh, Jackson, and uh, I remember going into the pre-thing, and the little nurse, you know, she's like, hey, man, don't worry, this is minor surgery. I said, there's no, if you're touching me, there's no such thing as minor surgery, right? Minor surgery is what you do to you. It's not what you do to me. And so anyway, I, they, I remember just roll, rolling in, like, into the, the surgical room, and they put you on that sterile table, and they're rolling you in, and you're looking at all those lights, and there's like a couple of seconds you got there before you're just out, and there's this thought that goes to your head, right? Well, you, you would do, if you ever had surgery, right? The thought goes to your head like, God, if you get me out of this, if I come out on the other end, I'll, I'll do whatever, whatever you want, God, I'll do whatever you want. And here's what's common among all of us. Whether, wherever you are on your faith journey, wherever you are in this idea of a relationship with Jesus, we all have this tendency to, to negotiate, to bargain with God, to try to do a deal with God. Have you ever said something like that? God, if you will then I will. Or God, if, if, God, if, you'll, if you'll get me out of this, then, then I'm going to pro- promise I'll, I'll, do, I'll do all this stuff. God, I'll go to church every Sunday or, or I'll be nice. I'll give to charity. I mean, it's Give Miami Day. And I'll, God, I'll, I'll, I'll be good. I'll volunteer somewhere. God, if you, if you will, I promise. I mean, I'll, I, I will. I'll, I'll never do it again. I'll stop. I'll do better. And we've all done this, right? We have this propensity to bargain, to, to try to negotiate with God. In fact, in every religious system, if you study religious systems around the world, people negotiate with God. In fact, people that don't even believe in God negotiate with God. Atheists negotiate with God. It's like, hey, to, to, whoever, to whom it may concern, if you're anybody's out there. And here's the thing about bargaining with God. This is what's interesting. If you really think about this, if you negotiate or bargain with God, you are making some really big assumptions, like, you're making some assumptions. The, f- the first assumption you're making is that, that God knows you exist. Like, if you negotiate with God, if you're, like, go past the cop. I did this this week, sorry. If you go past the cop, I'm like, please, God, don't let him pull me. Or, please, God, I was not going that fast. Please, right? If you ever negotiate or bargain with God, you're making some assumptions. In fact, I would say that you have way more faith than you even know. Because if you negotiate with God, you're, you're assuming that God knows you. Like, God knows my name. God knows I exist. God knows I'm here. He knows what's going on, because whatever I'm bargaining, I'm like, he knows that cop was there, or he knows that just happened, right? He knows my circumstances. He sees me, he knows me, and he gives a rip. Like, if you negotiate with God, you have extraordinary faith. I mean, you're, you believe. The second assumption that you make is, if you negotiate with God, is you believe that you have something God wants, right? Isn't that the basic tenet of a negotiation, right? If I'm negotiating with you, I used to do this in, in school, in middle school and high school, right, with lunch, right? I would, my mom would give me bad stuff, 
and that kid over there always got good stuff. So somehow I had to make him think that my stuff was good and because I wanted to trade, right? Right, so in negotiation, you believe that you have something that someone else wants. And so if you negotiate with God, you're saying, hey, hey, I know what I need from you, God. What is it you want from me? I mean, is it a give, right? That's all they talk about at church anyway. So is that what you want me to do to give? Like, what is it, God? And here's the thing. Here's the big idea today. Here's the big idea. The thing that separates true Christianity, the thing that, that separates real, true followership of Jesus from every other belief system, the thing that separates every world religion from true Christianity, the thing that stands in stark contrast from maybe how, what you've believed all your life or maybe what you were taught or maybe what you heard, I mean, even if you grew up in church, the thing that separates true Christianity from everything else is this. God doesn't negotiate. God doesn't negotiate. And here's why he doesn't negotiate. You're saying, God doesn't negotiate because he doesn't want something from you. God actually wants something for you. There's a huge difference. And the reason you can't negotiate, the reason there's no point trying to bargain with God is because you don't have anything that God needs. You don't have anything that he wants. God really just wants you. He just wants you. He wants your heart. He wants your devotion. And if you really study the teachings of Jesus, if you study the, the first church in the New Testament, it's really clear that God doesn't want anything from you. He wants something for you. And there's a word that encapsulates all this. It's a word that we just sing about, but it's a word that, that we know, but we don't really know. And here's the word. The word is grace. The word is grace. And this word, this single word grace, is at the epicenter of what it really means to follow Jesus. This is the epicenter of the New Testament. It's at the epicenter of this movement that we call the church. And this word grace drives everything as it relates to following Jesus, to becoming a follower of Jesus. And early in my journey with Jesus, there was an older, wiser man who gave me a definition of grace, and I've remembered it because it was short and simple and I could. And, and here's what he said. He said, grace is unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Now, what is the word unmerited? Right? It means that I did nothing to deserve it. Right? It's not about me. Unmerited is the idea that it's unconditional. It's not about me. It's about the person who's giving or dispensing the grace. It's not about the person who is receiving the grace. Unmerited favor is this idea that I get something for nothing. If there's any cost, if there's any price, it's paid by the person who is dispensing the grace. It's unmerited. It's undeserved. Now, here's the challenge with this, right? This stands in contrast to everything that we know, everything that we experience, right? Because when I'm a student, when I'm in school, when I'm in grad school and I'm trying to, to, get a, to get a good grade, I'm trying to graduate with honors, I can work hard, I can study more, I can put the effort in and earn it. But here's the thing with grace. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. You can't earn it. You can't work hard enough. There's nothing you can do. The nature of grace is that it's unmerited favor. You can't earn it. You can't work hard enough. And this idea is at the central, it's at the, the core of what it means to follow Jesus. 
And this is what sets apart following Jesus from every other belief system and every other faith system. I mean, grace is getting exactly what you don't deserve in the positive. You're getting exactly what you don't deserve in the positive. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. See, grace is an upgrade for mercy. Like, it's, 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 it's higher. It's a step up. You actually get what you don't deserve. And this is at the center of what it means to follow Jesus. And I want to look just for a minute at a letter that was written to the early church that tries to unpack this idea. And it was written to a, a port city by the name of Ephesus, and it was written by a guy named Paul. And if you, if you know anything about Paul, the Apostle Paul, about the early church, you know that Paul was uniquely qualified to talk about grace. Because Paul started out, not as Paul, he actually started out as Saul. When we first meet him, he's a guy named Saul, and the first time we meet him is when they're actually throwing rocks and, and they're going to kill a guy named Stephen. They're, they're, they're stoning him, and we meet a guy named Saul. And Saul goes on to become a destroyer, a persecutor of the church. His goal in life is to harm Christians. Those are people who are followers of the way, followers of Jesus. His goal is to destroy them, to imprison them. And along the way, Paul has this encounter with Jesus, and his life gets transformed. And in God's crazy sense of humor... Paul goes from this destroyer and this killer and this imprisoner. He becomes actually one of the most famous followers of Jesus in history. I mean, people that don't even know Jesus, don't even know anything about the Bible, know about this guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul. And, and he becomes one of the most famous things, and he helps start more churches than anybody else in history. And so toward the end of his life, Paul is at the end of his life. He's actually in prison, in prison in Rome that you can actually go visit. And it's about 65 A.D., so this is roughly 30 years after Jesus died on a cross and was resurrected. So when Paul is writing this, there's still eyewitnesses walking around, people that had seen Jesus with their eyes. And so he's in prison, and he's reflecting back on everything. He knows he's toward the end of his life, and he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus to followers of Jesus. And he's like, guys, you've got, you got to get this idea. You've got to know this. And he writes this, and here's what he writes. It's in Ephesians chapter 2. Again, he's writing to the church. He says, he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And Paul kind of starts off negative, but what he's basically saying is, hey, you were dead. And dead simply means you were separated from God. There, there was a barrier, there was a gap between you and God. You were dead to God, and God was dead to you. And then he unpacks in the next couple of verses a little bit of what he means by dead. Like, how, this is how far you were from God. But then in verse 4, Paul's going to make this transition. And here's what you need to know. Okay? The, the New Testament, the, the second part of the Bible, was written originally in the Greek language. And in the Greek language, okay, when they, when they would write, they didn't have Microsoft, uh, they didn't have IMAX, they didn't have, so they couldn't highlight, they couldn't, so... In the Greek language, what they would do is they would put whatever was important, they would put at the beginning. They would put it at the very beginning, and that was their way of saying, hey, I don't have a highlighter, I can't like highlight this, but this is what is important. You need to know this. And so he says this, he says, as for you, he says, you were dead, and you were separated from God. You were dead in your transitions and sins. And then it says this, he says, but God, but God. And Paul is telling these, these early followers of Jesus, he says, listen, you had a problem. You were dead. 
You were separated from God and God was separated from you, but God, but God. And the reason this is so important, the reason that Paul, as he's at the end of his life, is, is sending this to the followers of Jesus, is because, hey guys, the traditional way of approaching God, the normal way of praying, the normal way of trying to earn favor with God is, hey God, I've done some bad things, God, but, but, I, but I'm going to do better. Hey God, I messed up over here. I'm so sorry, but I'm, I'm going to change my ways. Hey God, things aren't going well right now. Things are kind of off the, off the track a little bit, but, but I'm going to turn things around. But I'm going to fix it. I'm going to work harder. God, I, but I'm, I'm going to come up with a solution. I, we can fix it, but, I, but I'm going to fix this. And Paul's like, no, no, no. You, had a, you, you got a problem. But God. And Paul says, you got it backwards. You've got it all wrong. He says, it's a new day. There's a new way. It's not but I, it's actually but God. And Paul says, this is why bargaining, this is why negotiating with God doesn't work. Because God doesn't want something from you, he actually wants something for you. And he continues. He says, but God is so rich in mercy. That is, God has so much mercy, he has extra mercy. Now think about this. Paul is writing this. He's sitting in a prison. Okay, he's getting ready to die. Right? He's reflecting back what you would do at the end of your life. He's reflecting back on his life and he's going, God should have killed. Like, what is this? Like, I was like persecuting. I was like encouraging people to throw rocks at one of God's prophets. I was like imprisoning and persecuting and harassing followers of Jesus. I mean, God should have like said, Paul. You're hurting me. See you later, buddy. God had every reason to get rid of me. But instead, God said, okay, you destroyed my church. You're hurting my people. Here's what I'm going to do. Paul, I'm going to show you just just how rich in mercy I am. Paul, I'm going to just show you, I'm going to demonstrate to you just how rich in mercy I am. I'm going to choose you, Paul, a destroyer, a persecutor, a hater, a Christian hunter, a church destroyer. I'm going to use you, and I'm going to use you to start more churches and to tell more people about Jesus than anybody else in history. That's the kind of mercy I'm talking about. I believe today, some of you this this week, this Thanksgiving week, this is the message you need to hear. I meet so many people that the first words out of their mouth, Greg, you, you just don't know, Greg. You just don't know what I did. You just don't know the story. You just don't know if, if I told you it all. If I, right? And God, I think, today wants to look at you and go, hey, let me just show you just how rich in mercy I am. But God, because he's rich in mercy, can I just show you? Yeah, I know what you've done. I know where you've been. I know who you've hurt. I know the pain you've caused. But can I just show you? Can I just show you just how rich in mercy I am? And maybe that's the Thanksgiving message you need this morning. But God is so rich in mercy. And then he says, and he loved us so much. Another translation of this says, because of his great love, which he loved you. Because of his great love, which he loved you. And the reason this is so important, the reason that Paul is writing this, this answers the why question. Like maybe you have the why question. That's my favorite question. Why? God, why do you care? 
God, why do you listen to my prayers? God, why would you give me a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance? God, why would you pay any attention to me at all? What have I done, God, to deserve your love? To which God says, it has nothing to do with you. The answer is because of my great love for you. The answer is because I love you very much. This is the essence of grace. This is the answer of unmerited favor. Because I love you so much. And if you're considering Jesus or if you're exploring the idea of Jesus or you're just kind of checking this whole church thing out, this idea here is at the center, it's at the core. And it doesn't work with the way that we do life. It doesn't work with the way that we do school. It doesn't work with the way that we do relationships. Or maybe it doesn't even work with the way that a lot of churches teach it or that we've been taught. But the reason, the core idea is because of his great love for you. And this is why you don't have to negotiate with God. This is why you don't have to bargain with God. This is why you can't earn it. This is why you can't do enough good stuff. This is why you can't do enough good He says, hey, I want something for you. And Paul summarizes all of this, and I love how he says this. He says, it's by grace that you've been saved. It's by grace. Just grace. You can't brag. It's not about you. You can't work hard enough. You can't do enough good things. It's just grace that you've been saved. And remember, he's writing to the the church. He's writing to these followers of Jesus. And he says, hey, you were separated from God. You were, you were, God was separated from you, you were separated from God, and it's not but I, it's but God, who's rich in mercy, and because he's love for you, it's by grace that you are unseparated, that the, the barrier is destroyed, and you can be in a relationship with him. And here's the problem with this, and this is why I struggle with this, this is why you struggle with this, because we have so much trouble receiving and, and understanding this idea. I mean, grace, it's a small word, but it's so hard to to understand. And you know why we have so much trouble understanding this and so much trouble receiving this? There's several reasons, but it just goes against everything in our culture. It goes against everything that we know. I mean, you don't get something for nothing, right? We all know that. You don't get something. You, you can do it, right? You can work hard enough. You can try hard enough. You can perform. You can fix it. You can do it, right? That's, that's what we're told from day one. But what happens is that that way of life overlays with our view of God. And we combine that with the fact that even though most people in our city don't don't necessarily want to have anything to do with God or don't attend a church or anything, maybe not even interested, but there's enough Bible knowledge. Like if you go out to, to our city, there's enough Bible knowledge and there's enough knowledge of the teachings of Jesus, just enough to be dangerous, And most people, whether they're followers of Jesus or not, they have an idea in their head of what God might accept. Like, this is what God would say is okay. God God won't won't like this, but he will like this. He'll approve this, but he won't approve that. And you you take all of that and and you, you overlay it with the view of God. And what happens is even churches pick up on some of this and they start teaching this idea that you have to do you have to do, right? It's like a scale, right? And if, you, if, you're, if you're good, if the stuff that you do, if you give enough, if you serve enough, if you volunteer enough, if you help enough, and that's more than the bad, the things that you shouldn't do. If the good outweighs the bad, then they're okay. Then God is going to be okay with you. And Paul says, no, 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 no. 
You got it backwards. It's not it. The approach is wrong. You, you don't get it. He says, it's not you. It's not but I. It's not work hard enough, do enough good, do enough things to outweigh the bad. It's not work a little harder, do better. It's but God, period. But God. But God. Nothing else. Just God. And that's why he writes this. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It's not you. It's not you. It's the key word, gift of God. It's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. If you don't hear anything else I've said this morning, I hope you'll remember this one thing. Religion is about do. Do. Do this. Serve. Be good. Do these things. Help people. Go homeless. But true followership of Jesus, the real Christian, the authentic Christian path is about done. D-O-N-E. And all religion is like, hey, what what can I do? God, let's negotiate. What do you need? I'll give you a little. You give me a little. We'll kind of bargain back a little bit, God, and we'll be all right. Like, how can I get your attention, God? What can I do? And Paul says, no, 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 no. No, but God, it's but God. He says, all that we do, all of the do that we do is actually in response to the done, right? So if we do, we do because we're responding to the done. And so if you were to say, hey, Greg, why do you, why do the people of Miami Church, why do we forgive? Why are we, why are we gracious and forgiving? Because we've been forgiven. Greg, why do the people, at, why do you, why do the people, at my, why do we, we give? Why are people so sacrificial and they give? Do they give to earn God's favor? No, we don't give to earn God's favor. We give because we've been given too. Why, why, why do we serve? Why do people show up at 7.30? There's people here this morning before I got here. Why are people here? Why are people back there scrubbing bathrooms this morning? Why are people serving? Is that, are they trying to earn God's favor? No, no, no. We serve because we've been served. Why are we so kind to each other? Why are we trying to create a a culture of hospitality? Why are we trying to create a a culture of generosity? Why? It's because God's been so kind to us. We don't do it to earn his favor. We do it because of what he's done for us. It's done. But God, but God, being rich in mercy and because of his great love for you. You want something to be thankful about at Thanksgiving? Right now. As you are. You don't got to do anything. You don't got to clean up. You don't got to believe something. You don't got to go to a class. You don't got to go through a 12-week whatever. No, no, right now. As you came in this morning, right now. But God, because he's so rich in mercy, he loves you. Thanks so much for listening today. If you have any questions about what you heard in today's message, send us an email at hello at MiamiChurch.com. If you believe in what God is doing here at Miami Church and want to support, you can do so by going to MiamiChurch.com and clicking Give in the menu. Our website is also a place where you can find out more information about our church, and we would love to see you on a Sunday morning very soon.